All right, we are here, guys, with some awesome people. Welcome to the Commissioner Evaluation Podcast. I'm John McGlynn. You can find me on the Twitter machine at John McGlynn75. I'd like to thank my good friend and neighbor, Nick Script at PGW Fantasy, for letting me use his StreamYard YouTube to produce these hopefully heated divisional debates. Today, I plan on having some fun, and uh, this is part, part seven of an eight-part series where fan passion and fantasy football goodness go head-to-head. Today, we have some we're in some real sharp and talented content creators uh, in the football industry to talk about their favorite teams. Uh, the first guy I got here is John Hogue at Superflex Dude, my guy, friend of each, uh, we're friend of each other's shows. The Broncos are uh, such a well-balanced and powerful team. Do you ever wish that you were in a different division, like the NFC East or something? <laughs> Today we're here to listen no. and enjoy as you uh, <laughs> proclaim you're not so friendly, rabid divisional foes. The reason the Broncos will gallop their way to this division title. Yeah, man. No, I'm. Uh, I we've had Pat Mahomes beating up on us for so many years. I'm looking forward to a little bit of revenge. <laughs> it's uh, it's it should. I can't imagine. Like this is the West. I like I said before in the, in the pre-show. I've been waiting for the show for seven weeks now because this is one of my favorite things going on here. This favorite divisions. But uh, <laughs> Zach, the Chargers got a new stadium, new quarterback, and the future is so bright in LA as this Chargers team is loaded with talent. We're we're only doing the offensive side of these of the ball on these shows, so there's no way I'm going. I'm not I'm not going down the IDP rabbit hole with any of this stuff ever in fantasy football. But this Chargers team is electric. Uh, so tell me about yourself, uh, what you're doing in the fantasy football industry, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, no, go. I'm on going for two. Kind of new to the whole community, just trying to meet everyone, get every chance I can get to talk about football, fantasy football, all that. And uh, you know, today I'm ready to talk about the Chargers and why they're winning the division. Zach was in. Uh, he was our sticker. Uh, I don't know if sticker bitch is supposed to be the set anymore, but that's kind of the position he took for our our live in person draft. I have uh, every year with somebody different. Pat Fitzmorris Pat, Pat Morris was our sticker guy for this uh last uh chicago draft uh for the, the inaugural ones anyway and then i've had uh mike taglier waz like uh you know a lot of good people at my live drafts i run eight home leagues uh called the mighty mcglynn home leagues uh, we'll talk about it later but uh it's it's a big honor so i thank you zach thanks for uh he was in night scott's in he, zach's in my scott fishbowl situation too so uh it's it's awesome having him here We've had the most peaceful 11 12 I've ever experienced in a draft. I figured there'd be more animosity, but we're both content with our teams. Yes, I am. I am. I am. David Mendelson at D Mandy 2, another friend of the show. The Chiefs had a triangle offense better than what Phil Jackson coached in the 90s with the Chicago Bulls. They decided to just open the cage and let the Cheetah walk out. How does this team, who completely shit the bed in the second half of the Bronco, the Bengals playoff game, reinvent itself? Well, we'll go by position by position and explain why, but. Tell me about yourself, what you do, where it's what's coming down the pipeline, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at dmendio 2 i big Chiefs fan, obviously why I'm here tonight. But uh, as far as content that I produce, all my visual content usually is over at Triple Play Fantasy. You can find my work other places, Fantasy Pros, the 33rd team, and fan tracks. But I do football and baseball. And I love both of them equally, uh, and I just love everything about them. Did you tell Michael Carter you were coming on tonight? I hadn't, but I should text him. I should. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because one of Mendy's friends is a a guy who I grew up with and played baseball since I was like five or six years old. You know, and it's uh, it's just funny how how small the world is really. 
I feel like the whole Chicago community is awesome. Like you and Mike and Nick and Steven Johnson. And like, there's so many people I'm like that all live in Chicago draft together. And I'm like, I, I guess I was born in the wrong area. Cause uh, it, it's pretty cool. How many of you guys live or in that, in that area? It's a great, it is a great fantasy football community. It's, I just, I wish, uh, you know, the fishbowl draft was awesome. Um, it was cool seeing everybody meeting so many new people. So it is a great community. I love it here. I'm not going to lie. It's when they have events going on, like at for ESPN at like Bourbon Street or some other places. It really, uh, it's it's there's tons of people that show up. So the o, Theo, the OG fantasy football, one of the bright minds in this industry, representing the black hole and the super the super mega annoying Raiders fan base called Raider Nation. I swear, if there was ever a team I was happy the Tuck Rule got called on, it was the Raiders. As a Dolphins fan, I hate Tom Brady. I hate the Patriots. Getting nation screamed in my face by every drunk Raiders fan on the planet has just run its course already for me. I'm so happy to see the pretty good Raiders team trapped in this nightmare division. Uh, now I got all these, uh, now I got all that off my chest. I'll give you the opportunity to try and turn me into a Raiders fan this, tonight, okay? So tell well, me about yourself, where they can find you at, all that kind of stuff. So my name is Theo Greminger. I'm, I'm uh, at the OG Fantasy on Twitter. Um, you can find me on the Goat District podcast. And you can find my writing at Player Profiler. I'm the high stakes lead writer there. Um, so I write like a number of articles throughout the year, like the waiver wire, weekly column. Um, and in the off season, I've been putting out some values, our articles, some draft reviews. Um, I have a number of articles coming up. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. And then, you know, John, I'm not as passionate as, as three, these three guys. I, I like I like my Raiders, but they're but I'm, I'm my fantasy team is my number one team at all. So you can pile it on a little bit more on me if if uh, these guys get a little tired of it tonight. But I'm super <laughs> excited to talk with you. Um, me and you have potted together a number of times. It's awesome uh, getting a chance to see you again and all that. Yes, absolutely. This I, I was looking forward to this show so much. Every one of you guys is awesome. So this is this should be a really really good show as far as uh, that goes. Uh, news from around the NFL since my last show. Uh, just stuff from the interdivision stuff. Jalen Guyton have a fantastic offseason. Uh, I just threw in Terry Command, Terry McLaurin with extension. Jerry Judy says he's fully healthy. I got to throw in some Jameis. Every show I have to throw in anytime I get anything with Jameis Winston. He uh, He's throwing without a knee brace now. And then we got the uh, latest news today. Baker Mayfield uh, has been has found a new team. He's with the Carolina Panthers. Him and DJ Moore should be my f- new favorite uh, combo in the league going forward. So uh, that's... That's about all the new stuff that's going on in uh, any kind of big news since my last show. I was, uh, I got a quick story. I was lucky enough to run the Chicago in-person Scott Fishbowl drafts, and it was a blast. Zach, who was on my show today representing the Chargers, was there and is in my division also. Pafis Morris is there to kick to kick it off along with a ton of guys that are sprinkled across what I call the Mighty McGlynn home leagues. Connor Allen, Nick and Anthony Scripp, Connor, uh, Colin Taylor. Sean Foss, Stephen Johnson, Brett Zimmerman, Rob Wozniak, Kyle August. It was almost like one, being at one of my own home league home league drafts, but it was a blast. I was in the middle of the uh, ocean for six days prior to the actual draft with no internet. So I'd like to thank Nathan Powell for running the division races to determine division positions while I was unavailable. I literally got home at 4 a.m. in the morning uh, and had a dead battery on my car on the way home, and I got home from the airport. Anyway, it was a great experience. I'm just shooting from the hip. Uh, I'm just shooting from the hip throughout this draft right now because I kind of got lost. But Zach is right right behind me, the 11th spot, and um, I took the number 12 for the third round reversal bonus. So it was a it was hosting the fishbowl was was something special for me uh, because I love the only leagues I'm in besides the fishbowl are all home leagues. Um, it's 
you know, anywhere between, I, I don't know the number of people that are, some people cross over different leagues, but I love being a commissioner. I love running these leagues. I love ho- having rookie drafts and draft lotteries for every league and just having fun all around. Fantasy football is my favorite hobby. You know, I don't hunt, I don't fish, I don't do golf, I don't do that stuff. Home leagues is really where it's at. So it meant a really lot for me to have the, uh, one of the first Scott Fishbowl leagues um, be in Chicago and me be able to be there and, and, and run it myself. It was, it was fantastic. So, uh, that's my story for this week. And we came here for these guys to fight and that's what we're going to do. And we'll start with the quarterback position. So talk to me about the team starter. And if it helps the uh, cause, you can name any backups, newly drafted players. Uh, that's kind of what we're doing here. We'll start with the quarterback position. So Theo, Tell me about the Raiders quarterback situation and uh, why this, why, I, I mean, Derek Carr is a pretty damn good quarterback. Uh, he's very underrated in my eyes. Uh, t- so you tell me in a fantasy football perspective, why Derek Carr is going to be the quarterback uh, that's going to lead them to a division title this year. So I think that, you know, they're, I, I, I would probably put the Raiders maybe about third in, in the preseason. Um, I think it, right now you can't really call them the favorites. I think they're going to definitely challenge for it. Derek Carr is, like, super interesting for fantasy, though, this year. Um, he threw for a career high in yards last year. He finished his quarterback 12. Um, he gets a pretty interesting coaching upgrade here with Josh McDaniels um, and Nick Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. Those guys have, like, a nice history. Um, so, And then, obviously, they, they added weapons for him this year. So, he's to me, he's very interesting. Right now, he's, like, quarterback 14 on underdog. Um, but I think he's got upside – um, that he could finish a, a pretty good deal higher than that. I think he's kind of capped by his rushing ability where I don't see him, you know, cracking into like the, you know, top six. But I think there's a reasonable case to be made that Derek Carr could finish inside the top 10 quarterbacks right now. Um, I think that what we're going to see is like a balanced offense. Um, they have a number of, if you if you take a look at preseason totals in Vegas, the Raiders are projected to be in a ton of shootouts. The, it's basically to the strength of this conference. Um, and also their, you know, the defense is, has some question marks. So I think Derek Carr is a nice upside uh, QB2. Um, and I think he's a great way if you're looking to potentially draft two quarterbacks in your league, um, you want to draft a guy like Justin Fields or, or Trey Lance, you could afford to have Derek Carr as well, um, where there might be some question marks of a boom bust upside guy. I think Carr offers you a really nice floor um, from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, he's very, I think he's very underrated especially yeah. with his newest upgrade, which we'll get to later, but real good, uh, real good, real good quarterback. Uh, John Hogan, you finally get to talk about your Broncos here. So we got, uh, nice. we got, uh, this new guy in town. Uh, you know, yeah, Josh Johnson, this guy, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Josh, Josh Johnson is an upgrade by the way, over what we've had the last few years. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited just about that, but yeah. Uh, the the actual uh, the actual QB one here is uh, man it's it it's it's so exciting in Denver to finally have some competent quarterback play again. He also has a really hot wife. <laughs> he does. It's been uh, to to see that the, them have such good teams and just missing one piece being a quarterback mm-hmm. and then finally getting your quarterback. It's got to be you. I mean, you guys have to be jumping for joy in in Denver. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I it, I I have a little bit of a different take on it than a lot of Broncos fans. Uh we had uh um this this trade getting Russell Wilson 
happened two days after John Elway's contract expired. And, you know, we had spent how many years with John Elway drafting big, stupid quarterbacks with big arms, mobility, but rocks for brains. And finally get him out of the way and you, you get the little dude who can, who, you know, throws the YOLO balls and, um, you know, can run to extend plays. And it, it just, it was just infuriating to see, uh, like you said, you know, they put together this, this championship roster, but waste it on awful quarterback play. So yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's just such a breath of fresh air uh, to have a, a, not only a competent quarterback, but a, a potential franchise quarterback. It's the first guy that's under six foot nine in the last like 12, 15 years with you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. John, John always said you got to be like six, eight to play quarterback or something like that, or some stupid philosophy <laughs> that he had before. Yep. Yep. You got to be big. You got to have a big arm and you got to be stupid. He wanted guys who play the game like he played the way he played it. And it's just like, that's, there's a reason that that's only worked for one guy ever. Yeah. Yep. Zach, you got a pretty good quarterback going on in LA. Tell me about uh, why, why your guy Justin Herbert is going to uh, win this division for the Chargers. Well, he's not only the most talented individually at the position in the division, but he's also got the best pass protection, and that's something where, while I do love Denver picking up Russell Wilson, and by the way. John, I need to apologize in advance for anything I say about the Broncos. I'm formerly from Colorado, so I'm surrounded by way too many Bronco fans. Nice. And I hear man. all the bias. So if there's any animosity your way, it's not actually at you. It's at all of them. Oh, I but, get it. I get it. This, this is uh, an awful fan base. I will admit that. The amount of years I had to hear about the Brocket launcher or someone else being the truth, the six foot nine QB like John was alluding to. Yeah. yeah. But you finally got one. Anyway, Justin Herbert, he's got the best pass protection and he's the most talented. I think, I mean, there's not too much I need to go into it. He, He's just the best. I, I mean, I love him in fantasy. I love him in real life. I mean, obviously, you have Patrick Holmes in the division, but I love knowing my guys secure. They they had a good draft in regards to bringing more guys in on the offensive line. They also brought in Corey Lindsley the year prior. They have a good defense. It's a tough division, but you're going to need a good O-line with so many stout D-lines in this division, and that's where I feel most confident about Justin Herbert. Dave, how confident are you that Patrick Mahomes is going to be uh, lead the Chiefs to a division championship here? I mean, first, I'll be honest that this is the first year in the Patrick Mahomes era that I'm actually not sure we're going to win the division. And every single year you'd ask me up to this point, I'd say it's a question if we're going to go to the Super Bowl or not. The division is, is to me is wrapped up. And that's just a testament to how well all these other teams have kind of reconstructed themselves over the last couple of years here. I think the one thing that's very interesting is how much people are sleeping on Patrick Mahomes this year, which it sounds crazy to say, but I've heard some people say, you know, he's there, he's the QB six. I saw someone say they haven't like QB 12. Uh, he's, I think, going to shock people this year because you lose Tyreek Hill. And I know we'll talk about all that stuff later, but the, he has the best group of receivers he's ever had in his career. This is a guy that's played with Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle. Nicole Hardman, the you know 
the back end Sammy Watkins. Like he's never had a good group to go along with Kelsey and Hill. So now he's got a, a good collection of guys that we'll get into. And I think Patrick Mahomes kind of senses that people are sleeping a little bit on the Chiefs right now. And I think, and he's already thrown in Texas with a bunch of these other receivers. And and I think he's he's gonna shock some people this year. I think with how much better he does than people think without Tyreek Hill. And he's also fallen to like an affordable part of the draft, not just mm-hmm. like where he's ranked as a quarterback. You would have like that upper tier where you have to reach to get Mahomes in a regular, you know, 12 team mm-hmm. draft. And now he's like in a tier with guys. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see. I think that it's like the Tyreek discount. Um, but you know, it's one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen at like a discount in the drafts. It's, it's pretty interesting. I've seen him go as quarterback six. I've seen him go as quarterback four um, in drafts I've been in. So it's, uh, I, I mean, I, I still like underdog. He's behind Herbert right now. Um, yeah, fantasy it's, pros it, too. It's very close, but it's uh, it's kind of funny to look at. It's almost like at the end of the day, it's like seeing Mahomes this close to like Jalen Hurts in terms of ADP is is a little bit funny. Um, and we'll see if it works out that way. And I can understand from a standpoint of having him behind Justin Herbert and Josh Allen, but any of the rest of the guys have a hard time passing up on Patrick for. And you know, I also look at the Chiefs' offense, and this isn't a team that has these stout running backs. Edwards, Alaire, and and Rojo aren't going to suddenly be these top-tier running backs that are going to make them more of a rush-first offense. It's still running through Patrick Mahomes, whether Tyreek's there or not, and we know the talent's there, regardless of who the weapons are. And, and he's Andy still Reed. got Kelsey. And Andy Reid's still calling the plays. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and he's got a rushing upside, too, where you might have to see that a little bit more this year, which for a fantasy perspective is like super exciting. So, I mean, it's like in the preseason, you want to kind of be get like fading Mahomes, like from a neutral perspective, but then you actually see where he's getting drafted. And I think that the market's moved too much. I think he's, he's almost like a value right now. Yeah. And just to put a cap on it too, like even though he was fourth in fancy points per game each of the last two years and he was QB one the year he exploded, he still had tied with the most uh, weekly top 12 finishes with Justin Herbert last year. And uh, somebody that, again, just as you know, you look at his passing grades, you look at uh, just across the board, I, I all the numbers are still there. I just think putting anything below QB3, I think, is a mistake this year. I, again, like we said, Josh, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, I can understand you putting him behind them. I just don't think you can discount him much more than that even with the Tyreek Hill uh, potential loss in that sense. He's definitely going to have to reinvent himself. That's something we're, we're going to see a different Patrick Mahomes this year, but how much for the better, how much for the worse, that's something we'll find out. Yeah, I think he's got across the board, like you said, a lot more, you know, not not tier one, top of tier one players in Tyreek Hill, but there's a lot of talent around him that he's never had that much talent on him before. So we'll see what happens here. But, Mendy, uh we just talked a minute ago about the running backs in KC. Uh, I just traded this year for uh, CEH myself. Uh, tell me that's not a mistake. Tell me where Ronald Jones fits in, Jarrett McKinnon, Isaiah Pacheco, uh, Jerrion Early. Like, where all these guys, how are they going to fit in behind CEH? Is CEH really, was it just a, uh, you know, because of surgery before last year, like him not really getting the offense? What's going to happen with the running, the, the whole running back, uh, situ- uh, the whole running back? stable in Kansas City this year. Uh Isaiah Pacheco was an interesting kind of 
maybe last pick of a best ball draft. I don't even know if he'll make the team now, just with the fact they solved Derek Gore there. And when they brought back Jarek McKinnon, uh, that kind of complicates things. But at the end of the day, for me, there's two players you can argue that are going to be fantasy relevant for this team, barring injury. And it's Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Ronald Jones. Clyde Edwards Hilaire was a person I went out on a limb last year and I said he was going to be a top 10 running back. I had him ranked as RB 10 last year. And I made a thread before the season started. I talked about how bad the offensive line was, whether you looked at PFF grade, whether you looked at negative runs, just where he's getting stuffed behind the line of scrimmage. The fact that he was basically him. And then you combine all the other running backs on the team. were not converting at the goal line. I said, there's just so much that needs that is supposed to bounce the other way that we're going to see CEH be a capable RB2 this year, or I was saying last year, potentially RB back end RB1. It just never happened, whether it was, you know, him fumbling a couple times, him not being involved in the passing game. He's also not an explosive runner. He's one of the worst explosive run rates among running backs in the NFL. So he's not somebody that's breaking off 20 plus yard runs. He's just getting, you know, four, three, Five. That's the kind of running back he is. And I'm out, John. I, I'm sorry to say it. I'm out on him. Uh, and it's not just because he burned me last year with that call. He's just not an NFL starter. Just from all watching him play the eye test, he doesn't read cuts very well. Like when he sees when there's openings in the offensive line, he's not reading them correctly. Uh, he's, I think he's one of those guys that's a good complimentary back. I think that's his place in the NFL, a change of pace, a receiving back, a team that actually will throw him the ball consistently. But I'm intrigued with Ronald Jones. I'm very intrigued with Ronald Jones. He was a top 26 running back before last year, each of the last two years before that. He's a career near five yards per carry. I think the big thing is his fumbling problem. And I think if you can work on that with him, he's got a new head coach in Andy Reid. He's away from Bruce Arians, who's always kind of in the doghouse there. We've seen how good of a runner he is. And I think he's going to be the best running back on this team. A Kansas City Chiefs offense that we know is top five in the NFL. And I don't see now that Darrell Williams is gone, there being a major goal line threat at the running back position that could take him off the field at the goal line situation. So I, I have Ronald Jones as one of the biggest surprises at the running back position this year. Somebody that you could get as like, if you go heavy wide receiver to start your draft, if you have Rojo is like your RB two or your RB three, that you could be in pretty good shape. Even if he gets the goal line, even if he just has the goal line role in Kansas city, he's intriguing where he's being drafted. I like that call a lot. Um, he's a guy I've drafted a lot in best ball and, um, they they never give the ball to Clyde Edwards Slayer inside the five. And mm-hmm. it's like they go get Rojo. So yeah, I love that call. I think Rojo will could really pay off this year. And it's not like you're he's going at a point where you have to use any kind of draft capital to get him. Mm-mm. Get him in like the tenth, eleventh round. Um, you can always recover on that one. I mean, even Jared McKinnon last year was kind of uh picking up the slack for CEH. He had some pretty good, towards the end of the season, he had some pretty good games. And I understand the whole Rojo on the goal line thing, and, you know, he doesn't need to catch any passes. If he's just a goal line back, that's fine. If that's what his job is to be a goal line back, well, like you said, he's got to hold on to the ball. The fumbleitis is not going to last very long in the NFL. It's uh, That's kind of why he's in the doghouse where he was before. So, uh, speaking of guys who can't get very long yardage, I, I think Josh Jacobs' longest run of his career was 26 or 28 yards or something like that. So, what is uh? Tell me about Josh Jacobs, Zamir White, uh, uh, 
Britton Brown, uh, Kenyon Drake, all that stuff. Tell me, tell me about the Raiders backfield uh, stable here. Make me feel good about the Raiders. And I just traded for Josh Jacobs too. So this might be, I might be going down, you know, getting beat up in the corner of the ring over here by all these bad moves I made on my fantasy team. John, I don't like the, I don't like the Jacobs trade in, in dynasty. I think that, um, you know, they didn't extend him contract wise. Uh, they had an opportunity to do so. Um, when, when Josh McDaniel was, was hired, he talked about, um, you know, how, how he viewed Josh Jacobs as a, a three down running back um, and a guy that they were going to heavily use, but nothing that they've done this off season really showed that um, the contract and also the fact that they went out and drafted Zamir White in the fourth round. Um, he's a really intriguing player. Um, I think that he basically with how much money they're spending on their wide receivers, I think that there's a chance that Zamir White could be the starting running back next year if they do move on from Josh Jacobs uh, in Vegas. Um, he's a, a very intriguing prospect. He had 11 touchdowns last year for Georgia. Um, he had over 2,000 yards rushing there. Um, he played with a number of pros um, in, in a crowded backfield. He was like the number one running back in the nation uh, as a prospect going to Georgia. So you always like those guys who, you know, have the high pedigree. Um, and the beat writers have been, you know, very, very uh, – they're very, very full of praise in, in their describing Zamir White, um, the running backs coaches as well, um, saying he's got a good work ethic. They're saying all like the things that you want to hear when they're talking about young players. Um, they also signed Brandon Bolden, um, who's got the connection um, with McDaniels from, uh, from uh, New England. Um, he's going to be a special teams guy who knows the offense, but, you know, he's another guy that, you know, saw some work for the Patriots. And then Kenyon Drake, I think kind of the hope was for Josh Jacobs uh, managers in dynasty was that Kenyon Drake would just get cut. Um, but instead of cutting Kenyon Drake, they went out and restructured his contract. So it looks like it's, he's going to be a lock to make the roster. Um, and that's a guy that they think can do some things. Um, you know, Kenyon Drake was a free agent signing last year and people were kind of intrigued by him. He made Josh Jacobs a little more affordable in redraft. Um, and then, you know, he had obviously a disaster of a season with 12 games played and not a whole lot of production um, when he did play. Um, but he's got that two-way ability and with a new coaching staff that restructured him. I think that he's kind of intriguing because he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, and catches was really what uh, kept Jacobs up last year. Um, he had his lowest uh, rushing, rushing yardage total of his entire career, but he did have a career-high 54 catches. So... It's going to be really hard for me, in my opinion, to see Josh Jacobs kind of paying off um, for where he's going. Um, he's very much in the dead zone. I mean, you're seeing the guy go in the fifth round. I've seen him touch the sixth round before, uh, but I think the fifth round for most leagues is where Josh Jacobs will live. Um, and to me, I, I just there's so many other ways you could go with that fifth round pick that have a high, much higher upside. I think that like the bull, the bullish uh, argument for Josh Jacobs will be that the Raiders offense makes a, a big step forward. Jacobs sees all this goal line work. Jacobs has a ton of touchdowns, but you're really, really going to be betting on touchdowns. And I think that there's a chance that Zamir White could end up stealing some of that goal line action uh, a little bit later in the year. Um, Jacobs actually only had like 40%, uh, a little north, like a little bit uh, north of 40% of the short down uh, distance work last year. So even like last year, the, the coaching staff didn't like run him into the ground uh, when they had him. So I don't know. To me, he seems like a guy who's got a lot of tread on the tires. Um, he, you know, rushing wise had some issues last year. And now we see a very crowded backfield. So I think everything that they're doing to me screams uh, that it's going to be somewhat of a committee. 
Jacobs will see the most touches out of it, but not enough to help your fantasy team. And I would go a different direction where he's being drafted. Couple things about Jacobs that I, you know, I just think this is the last year of his contract, so they're going to use him and abuse him while they, you know, groom Zamir White for the for the role. But Zamir White, what did he already have? Three knee surgeries? Is it two or three? Yeah, you know, he's been, he kind of got beat he's, up a little bit in college. So, but that's why they got him in the in the fourth round. I think that that Zamir White, if he would have stayed healthy, you know, would have been potentially a day one pick. Um, that kind of guy. So, with with Zamir White, like your window for him might not be so big in, in dynasty, but right. if he stays healthy, it's he's interesting. I mean, you went and got Jacobs, and I know you play in a lot of deep dynasty formats. I think going and getting Zamir White um, at cost might not be the worst way to play that um, that Jacobs move this year from a dynasty perspective. Uh, I traded Zamir White and Mitch Trubisky to get Josh Jacobs. That's kind of my uh, – yeah, it's – I already had I already had Mahomes, Josh Allen, Trevor uh, Trevor Lawrence, and somebody else on my team, so I didn't really need a quarterback, which which I know John Hogue is probably puking right now because I said I traded a quarterback away for a running back, but it's uh, one of those things where I just needed to – I had I have my receivers are stacked, my tight ends are stacked. I had pretty much a really good situation, but – I needed running backs and CEH and Josh Jacobs just kind of fit the bill because they're young. I, I think that they've been misused, some injuries, uh, some, you know, the coaching staff not using them correctly. And they're still what Josh Jacobs just turned 24 and CEH is still 23, I think. Right. So it's, I, I think they still have a lot. They're just, if they go somewhere else, which they're probably going to, maybe they'll be used by the next team correctly. That, that's just where I'm at. I, I got a long time to worry about these guys, you know, not panning out or, you know, but they have the tools. I, I feel like they have the tools. And I, I don't think 100% that CEH is going to, you know, blossom into this awesome running back. But I think he's going to be a great PPR back. And in a PPR league, having running back that catches 50-plus passes a season is really all you need. You know, that's – I don't yeah, you want touchdowns and stuff too, but I like receiving backs in, in my PPR leagues. Yeah. So I like guys well, who score touchdowns and stuff too, I guess, but – I like Rojo more than CEH. Uh, that's I've been big on the Rojo Hill this offseason, but in regards to both of them for a PPR league, I'm not against it simply based off the aspect of these are going to be new looks for both offenses. The Raiders have a new head coach, and they brought in this big fancy new toy in Devontae Adams, and I know we'll get into that in a bit, but I assume that could change the look for how defenses are game planning and potentially open the door for more opportunities for Jacobs to maybe get a 30 yarder someday in his career. But yeah, hopefully the opportunity is there. Yeah. Hopefully for you, for, for you, John, for you, John in championship week. <laughs> Thanks guys. You guys are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to be fighting with each other, but you're, you're making me feel good. This is great. I, I love it. I should have to, you more often. Trying to, trying to make you blush a little. Oh, I'm blushing. It's, I'm sunburned, but I'm blushing underneath it. So <laughs> it's uh. Uh, that's good. But Zach, tell me about a running back that pretty much burned me uh, last year in fantasy football. I played against uh, Austin Eckler a couple games, and it just happened to be his career games when I played against him. He had a great year last year. Do you see him uh, redoing all of the, the feats that he had last year with his 29,000 touchdowns and 100 million yards? You know, it's tough to bet on touchdowns being consistent usually i like to depend more on the yards the receptions that kind of volume rather than touchdowns because those can be hit or miss each season but with someone like eckler it's hard not to see the opportunity there they love him in the red zone they love him in all parts of the field so he's all reliable it's hard not to trust him the only concerns are as his age gets a little older uh that maybe an injury creeps up 
but that's where you look at someone like Spiller. Hopefully he can be what, you know, Roundtree or any of those other previous guys they took at the third or fourth round pick that people had hopes for. Hopefully he can be that. And I look at Spiller also as someone that he's more of a fullback in my eyes. Like he's just a complete change of pace and change of style from what Eckler is. I don't have big expectations for him, but I think there's a complete different approach when he's on the field. But Eckler, I mean, it's hard to bet against him at this point. He's been so consistent for so many years. And week in, week out, he's usually producing a good good chunk of fantasy points for any winning team. I mean, I don't – go ahead, John. If you're one of those guys who drafts – you're one of those crazy fantasy football guys who drafts their dynasty rosters before the NFL draft, like in the end of, uh, the end of February, beginning of March – at that point in time, Isaiah Spiller was still the RB1 in most fantasy rankings, and it's changed a lot since then, thank goodness, you know, but uh, Spiller was at one time thought of as the uh, RB1 in this class. And he fell down big time with big the time. combine, with the workouts, and then it just kept going, come NFL draft time. Yeah, I mean, I did a few of those drafts, and I was, we did our Debbie slash rookie draft in, I want to say, March, and Spiller, yeah, he went, he went 102. And they regretted that fairly quickly after. I mean, like, there's a reason why he was getting that hype that throughout his college tape, there are plenty of reasons to see potential hope for him turning into more at the NFL level. But it's also easy to buy into the the concerns because, I mean, those piled up quick from March onward. But I don't I, I don't mind having fantasy football drafts. Right after the right after the combine, right after the draft, right after you know we're seeing Landy spots stuff like that. Right after that is fine, but people who draft in March, I just feel like unless you're in like a Debbie league and you've seen these guys play since they were coming out of high school, it, which I just got my first Debbie league this year, so a campus a Canton league, I'm pretty happy about that. So it'll help my recruiting or talent or knowing uh, information from these guys coming in and out. But uh, I just feel like I. I just feel like these guys are doing such a disservice to yourself by drafting that early. I, I don't understand the whole rush, rush, rush to hurry up and get some major team. I don't want to wait until week before the NFL season to draft my team either. I don't mind, but I mean, I just, I like to, everybody has their own thing, their own way of doing stuff. But my favorite thing to do is wait till like a couple weeks after the NFL draft and then have the draft. Then I think that's a great time to draft. I think it's more just excitement. You know, you, you want more football in your life. The Super Bowl just ended and you need something because now you're in that weird period waiting for the combine, waiting for the NFL draft. And you're like, well, well, what do I do with these teams? All right, let's just start another league. <laughs> I think that's been the mindset for most of my leagues that, you know, we draft in February. But it definitely makes it tricky because, yeah, guys like Spiller were way higher and kind of changes game plans for rookie drafts and the way you're drafting your team with the yeah. expectations of those rookies. I will say one thing, just going back to Eckler really fast, is I do expect some type of regression from him this year. How much, I think, is up in the air. But here's like a couple things that I've taken. is One, if you look at total amount of touches per game from running backs last year, Austin Eckler was fourth. Hit the fourth most touches in the NFL at uh, just around 45 per game. Um, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, not fourth. He was... Eighth, eighth at just over 45 per game. Actually averaged more touches per game than Jonathan Taylor, if you could believe that, which is actually pretty wild. Wow, then, I didn't know that. Then you look at red zone touches, running back or running back rushes inside the red zone. 
Jonathan Taylor had 89 rushes inside the red zone. Austin Eckler had 49. But even though there's a, obviously a huge gap between first and second, Austin Eckler had the second most red zone rushes among running backs last year. Now, uh, I talked to Austin Eckler a few weeks ago, and he basically said he was like, I need to like take care of my body, and I can't take – he's like – Austin Eckler is like 5'8", 200 pounds or something like that. He said, you know, I need to preserve my body. I can't take that many touches consistently. He's like, it hurts. Like at my size, every hit hurts. And so he's excited about Isaiah Spiller coming in and taking some touches away from him. And Eckler was somebody that we saw thrive because he scored 20 touchdowns. And someone like Isaiah Spiller might take some of those touchdowns away. He's a, a little bit of a bigger back than him. I also like Isaiah Spiller a lot personally as a running back prospect, but I think it's to be said last year, Austin Eckler didn't really have a handcuff. It was kind of just committee of guys that stepped in in various times. Spiller is going to be the legit handcuff to him. And I think is going to vulture some touchdowns and some work that we didn't see taken from Austin Eckler this past season. So I think right now he's the consensus like RB2, RB3. I have to look at where he's ranked. But I think he's still like a top five or six running back. But I think we have to to scale back what we can expect from him. I mean, keep in mind, he only him and LT have had the only 20 touchdown seasons in Chargers running back history. So yeah. we have to expect some regression this year. Uh, I was, yeah. Go ahead, Theo. So, yeah, and touchdown-wise, uh, it was also like – I think his previous high combined touchdowns was like 11 and he just completely just exploded. But I agree with you. Spiller's interesting and he landed perfectly. So any like kind of like, uh, you know, question marks we might have have had post combine, I think kind of go out the window because, you know, like David said, he's the clear cuff there. You have to put him in the mix with the upside handcuffs and he's got potential for even more. They could potentially use him as a change of pace back. And he's also got the receiving ability. I mean, his stats at, at A&M, the guy caught almost 80 balls uh, in the SEC, um, and he broke out at a very, very young age. Um, so I think he's super intriguing. And if Eckler went down, I think he would see uh, an absolute ton of work. He'd be like a top 15 weekly play if Eckler missed any any weeks, just based on how good the offense is. So I'm, I'm kind of into Spiller as well this year. Um, I think he's definitely super interesting. I'm not necessarily as high on Spiller this year, but I do see the benefit for the handcuff. And I, I like him being Ek- with Eckler because Eckler is someone that, you know, he was a UDFA and came from a small school. And Spiller's going to have a chip on his shoulder now. You know, he plummeted his stock. There was high hopes like we already alluded to. And, you know, I think that chip on his shoulder and being with someone like Eckler who had to work for all the opportunity he got will help him. And there will be a lot he can gain from working with Austin and trying to take some of that pressure off of him. And, yeah, I, I actually have Eckler as my RB7 right now for this year. And I, it's not anything to slight him, but it's more so along what David was saying, where, you know, there's going to be some regression in regards to workload. And it's hard to really bet on the consistency in touchdowns year after year. You just can't realistically expect that. And especially at that volume, I'm going to expect that to drop a little bit. And I still feel good about Eckler, but I don't love his price right now. I don't want to take him at the RB2, the RB3. There's other guys I expect to climb into there. And that's where I get a little concerned and why I don't have too many shares of Eckler this year. 
I don't blame him. I mean, I'm 5'11", 360, and I would hate to get hurt to hit that much too. So <laughs> I, don't, you know, it's, I don't blame him. And I've heard him say publicly that he wants to get rid of some of his uh, his workload because he wants to make a career out of it. He The guy generally has, as you talked to him, Dave, a couple weeks ago, um, he, the guy generally has fun playing football. He loves doing fantasy stuff. He loves being on podcasts and shows. And he's, I mean, he's thoroughly enjoying his football experience here. So he's going to make it want to, want to last, last as long as possible, whether it be a part-time back or, you know, whatever, but getting the ball 800 times a year is not going to extend your fantasy football life, especially for somebody that size. So, but, uh, let's, uh, John, I don't, I'm going to wake you up over there in the corner. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I was actually trying to find some stats because I know we're about to talk Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, and I'm trying to find something to differentiate those two in 2021. It's not really there. Oh, come on. I, I, Javante Williams is somebody I, I just know that he, I, this year is he's going to be that that bridge. I think this is that bridge year where mm-hmm. Gordon's going to be a pain in the butt for this year again, and then Javante is just going to take over that offense next year. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I And the, the problem is I know that a lot of people are, are – pretty frustrated with the re-signing of Melvin Gordon. And that's why I was trying to find something tangible that I can point to, uh, to back up my theory here that he's, he's not going to be the threat that he was in 2021. That's, that's my honest belief. I think that you already have him pretty much out of the way. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously still on roster, but, uh, the fact that they, it took them until draft weekend to commit to him. Uh, I mean, he was he was making the rounds and just couldn't find another job. He ends up back in Denver at a huge discount so he can play with with Russ, with that, you know, University of Wisconsin connection. I, I there's just there's just a lot of fluff to this uh, to this re-signing, not a whole lot of stub of substance. And part of where I say that is uh you know, one differentiator that I found, obviously the touchdowns ended up being um, slanted towards Gordon uh, two to one, but the, uh, the big runs, and I don't even know how ESPN defines these, but um, big runs, it was six to three in favor of Javante Williams. And so what we saw several times was Javante Williams breaks a long run, breaking tackles all the way down the field finally taken down inside the five and then who comes in to clean it up like that's that was kind of the story of the of the broncos backfield in 2021 and the to me the guy who gets the biggest bump in this on this entire offense from bringing in russell wilson is javante williams because first of all you get you get more extended drives these carries, these touches for running backs, it's not going to be at the premium that it was in 2021. Uh, you're going to get more opportunities. You're going to get more trips into the into the red zone. And even better than that, I, this is this is one of the best defenses in the league that's uh, that's been built up here. But they just were on the field constantly in 2021. Drew Locke could not pick up a first down to save his life, and you know, so you end up with with a defense, you know, that's, uh, that's tired and unable to, uh, to minimize the scoring and you kind of negate the running game. You turn it into a one dimensional pass heavy offense. 
uh, you're not going to have that anymore. You're going to have a defense that's that's well rested, and you're going to create some more positive game scripts for the running game uh, by minimizing scoring. So there's so many reasons to be uh, to to feel good about this running game just in general. Um, but I mean, we just we know just just by the eye test, you can see who's the better running back. And I, I trust Nathaniel Hackett to have, uh, have caught on to that. Um, I, I, I think that you're going to see a lot more Javante Williams. I don't think it's going to be nearly as balanced. And the other thing I'll say is I've liked Mike Boone for a long time. I felt like he's, he could be an NFL starter, uh, elsewhere. Um, and he's kind of third on the depth chart. And then the Broncos seem to love Demaria Crockett. So, there's kind of a lot of competition there for touches. There's a lot of guys that they want to get the ball into their hands. Um, and I don't, I don't know how, like what's the path for Melvin Gordon to rise to the top of that. A Javante Williams injury is it. That's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like I'm with you. I think that that's, that's the right take. I think it's Javante's time. They gave, they let Melvin Gordon go on the market and he couldn't get any money from anybody and they got him for two and a half million. So it's, Yep. I think it's it. Javante is going at a very uh, reasonable uh, price tag for where you can draft him versus what you'll get, and I think he'll have a lot of like big boom games um, when that Broncos offense is humming. And I think he's got such an ability as a receiver, and he's a natural runner. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm very bullish on him. Gordon like kind of keeps him down a little bit, but it also might keep him fresh um, and healthy to have a have that vet. So I I mean. Gotta love Javante. I, I'm big on Javante as well. And I mean, I already alluded to the Broncos O-line earlier, but that's part of the reason why I love Javante so much. If Russ has to scramble out of the pocket and dump something off, I'm anticipating a lot of times going Javante's way. And that's a guy I look to thrive there. So I want all those PPR points. And Javante will get them. Yes. I love PPR points. So that's why we're talking about wide receivers next. And uh, Theo, we're going to start with you. With uh, newly acquired Devontae Adams leading the uh, the the core here, Henry Runfro, Demarcus Robinson, Matt Collins, you know a bunch of other guys in this team. Uh, they brought in Justin Hall in the draft. Uh, so, t- tell me about the wide receivers for the Las Vegas Raiders. So it's it's a it's a really pretty easy team to to draft. Um, we like both of these wide receivers, especially where they're going. Um, and it's a very, very consolidated target tree. Um, you know, we're going to talk about tight ends next, but like you said, they have a lot of kind of journeymen kind of filling out the roster. Um, they paid an absolute fortune to Devontae Adams, um, and they also gave Hunter Renfro a huge contract. Um, Adams comes over. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for Adams to get his 31%. Um, he had a 31.6% target share last year uh, in Green Bay. Um, I think that he's going to probably more, you know, in that 28-ish, um, which is still elite, but not quite as as much volume as he saw. Um, he's he's still going to be, you know, the focal point of the offense, in my opinion. Um, I think that they did not bring him in not to have him shine. You have the, the locker room narrative with Derek Carr. Um, Derek Carr and him talked about him coming to the Raiders previously. Um, for it's been a couple of years now where that that's kind of like been in, in motion. Um, and I think there's no way he's coming over there not to get the absolute star treatment. I think that his points per game last year, he was 21 points per game. 
I think that that is doable. Um, I think that, you know, you can confidently draft him um, among the top 15 players, how your draft goes. I've seen him go mostly at the end of the first round. Occasionally you get him right at the beginning of the second. I think it's fine price for him because I think his downside, even if he doesn't hit kind of the way that we think he will, I think that his floor is so high as an elite, talented wide receiver that you're not going to see him just, you know, drop off. Um, the guy's been consistently uh, terrific for years, even in the time that Brent, Hun- Brent uh, Hunley was quarterback in um, the Packers in that time that there was a, like an extended injury. Um, he was still, still a, a wide receiver one with him. That's going way back, but he's just a fantastic player. A uh, few players are, are better in the red zone at the wide receiver position. He's just unstoppable around the goal line. Uh, he's got big playability. I mean, I could talk about Devontae Adams all day, but Renfro is actually super interesting to me. He's going as wide receiver 39 on underdog. Um, he's going 80th overall in underdog. And it's it's kind of a guy that like the fantasy community is betting on having like a huge regression. But his metrics are not like overwhelming. He was 21.2% target share guy. Um, and he finishes as wide receiver 10. He was about 15 points per game in a PPR league. And he only had 124 targets. So, like, we think of him as some, you know, dump-off guy that got a, got a you know, inordinate amount of targets last year. But he was just very, very efficient. He's an elite route runner. Um, they did pay him the contract. And you look at some of the guys that played in the slot predominantly for uh, McDaniels in his offense over the years, the West Welkers, the Julian Edelmans, um, the Jaco- even Jacoby Myers. Um, those guys are treated well in the offense. Um, they run easy routes. They're they're a, a big part of you know getting getting first downs in that offense, um, and I think that having Adams there um, really helps Renfro. I mean, he's he's going to live in the slot, and I think where he's going now, where you're getting him as a outside of a wide receiver three range, um, you know, in in some leagues I've seen him be like an eighth round pick in like a regular um, you know PPR league, uh, seventh round pick, ninth round pick even. I think he could pay off big time. And I think it comes down to kind of the pecking order between him and Waller, who we'll, t- we'll t- uh, touch on shortly. But I think that, like, again, it's such a consolidated target tree that I think you can draft all of the Raiders' pass catchers with confidence. Um, but Renfro's a really interesting one. And if Adams missed any time or Waller missed any time, I think you'd see Renfro's target share go up even higher. Um, so I, I'm one of these people that I don't think he's going to fall off the face of the earth. I don't think he'll be wide receiver 10, but he's getting drafted as wide receiver 39. So uh, it doesn't take a whole lot for him to pay off at his ADP. No, I know Carr was uh, teammates with Devontae Adams in college. And, yeah, know, they at have, Fresno, yep. But the thing is, I don't see I, – I just don't see the, uh, Carr and Adams having the same continuity that Rodgers had with Adams because literally I, I feel like – you could have put a blindfold on those two guys and had them run routes, and they Roger could take it three steps back and just throw it to a spot. Adams can catch it without a blindfold on, and they can complete these plays. They knew exactly where they were supposed to be on the field at all times. That was like that was like that was one of the best wide receiver quarterback combinations in the history of football, in my mind. You know that was fabulous. Yeah. I know Carr's got got you know passed with him, you know experience with him from the past, but at the same time. It's, he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's a good quarterback. Oh, he's no. not Aaron Rodgers. So it's going to be tough to uh, to 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 replicate those numbers. But uh, Zach, what were you saying? No, I. It's just piggybacking off of what 
John and Theo, what you both said, because I'm in both parties. You know, I I loved Vontae. I mean, I'm a Packer fan deep down. I mean, that's where my bias stems from. But I've watched that duo for years, Rodgers and Adams, and there was nothing like it. I get the chemistries there from Fresno State. But Derek Carr isn't Aaron Rodgers. And I, I love Derek Carr in fantasy this year, but he's not that pinpoint accuracy guy that Rodgers is either. And it, it's tough. I, I mean, I look at Devontae as a guy that his floor is so extremely high, like Theo was alluding to, where even if you take him and he doesn't necessarily live up to that wide receiver too, where you might take him, he's not going to fall out of the top 20 like we've seen some guys, you know, if, if uh, a change of scenery takes place or something where there's this massive shift in where the targets are going. Devontae, regardless, is going to produce like a top end wide receiver, but I love it more so for the guys around him. Waller, Renfro, even a little bit Jacobs, where teams respect Devontae, corners respect Devontae. They know how skilled he is with his route tree, just every aspect of his game. They know who he is, what he is, and they're going to have to game plan for that. And that's where I look at Renfro and Waller especially where they're getting that that cornerback two, that cornerback three on them. More opportunity for them to get a guy that's sleeping or that necessarily just can't keep up with how they play and they can thrive there. So I'm looking at all the other weapons around them to kind of cherry pick from what Devontae makes the defenses have to do. But I, I think you can't go wrong with Devontae. It scares me because I have a hard time seeing him produce like the sole wide receiver like he was in Green Bay, but even if even if he's not that, he's going to be close to that. That's just who he is, and I'm always going to some. I'm always going to trust him. Yeah, I mean, he won't get the 169 targets either. Yeah. Um, but again, I think he could be very efficient in this offense. Um, I think that this is this is a guy who's 29 years old. This is like his last few, you know, dominant years. I don't think he would make a move over. Uh, without some assurances of his role. So I think we might see a drop down to 150 targets, but that's still going to put him towards the uh, upper elite wide receivers in the league. And again, it's it's a bet on the talent. Um, it's a bet at you're not you're getting him behind, you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and obviously Cooper Cup right now. So you're not having to draft him as a, as a top three wide receiver. Um, for the first time in a while, um, and he's going, you know, right, you can get a, in in most PPR leagues, you know, getting him right around the one-two turn uh, gives you great balance, um, and again, like you said, uh, his his floor is, is high, so like if you, if you get him, if you draft him as wide receiver four, and he finishes wide receiver seven or eight, um, you know, I think that that's, it's, again, it's not going to kill your team, and I think that if you look at the wide receiver rankings as a whole in terms of ADP right now, when you get kind of a little further down, you have the guys that we're really hoping can break into the elite, elite tier and production. Um, but those guys have a little bit more question marks um, than maybe we have with Devonte this year. So um, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see, you know, how they use him. but I think we have to bet on the talent. We have to bet on a high target share and a high number of targets. Um, and the fact that, I think that this is Carr looks at this as kind of his, you know, career opportunity. I think he's going to force feed the alpha and he's going to dictate the entire offense. 
Yeah, I could see him having over 100 receptions this year. Not easily, but uh, being that good of a receiver with uh, some continuity coming into the system, it's not going to take him a year to figure out his quarterback. He already knows who it is. So with that offense, with the system he's coming into, I could see him you know, being a bit behind, like you guys said before, but he's uh, he's he couldn't land in a better spot as far as I'm concerned. And a sleeper little bet to uh, Derek Carr for MVP. I mean, the odds are really good there relative to a lot of other guys around him. And if Devontae is that piece that takes him over the top to really uh, reach his full potential as a quarterback, that's a great odds there. So I'd recommend looking at that as well. Oh, that's a good bet. Let's uh, let's jump to the Chiefs now. Dave Mendy. Let's, uh, we got some Sky Moore, some Juju Smith shoes. So we revamped this whole uh, wide receiving core. Mark has Velda Scanling. We got Hardman still there. Justin Ross was kind of a uh, uh, mm-hmm. after the draft kind of signing. Uh, then you got a whole bunch of guys on his depth chart here. But bringing in Sky Moore and Juju, uh, that's that's some pretty bold moves. MVS, I don't think. Yes, he's fast, he's big, and get downfield, but he is not shifty like the Cheetah was. So tell me about this wide receiving core from Kansas City. I'm really excited about this wide receiving core. Um, Sky Moore is someone I really wanted the Chiefs to draft this year. I didn't think he was going to last outside the first round, but ended up getting taken in the late second. As long as he got to Kansas City, that was all I was hoping for. He's one of the the best, I think, if I remember correctly, only one receiver in college had better hands in terms of just the drop percentage than Sky Moore. But I mean, this is a guy that's sure-handed. He's five foot ten, 195 pounds, arguably the best slot receiver in this class. Somebody that consistently wins at the line of scrimmage. And uh, I'm very excited just the shiftiness and what he's going to bring from the slot. He also broke an FBS high 26 tackles last year. So he is somebody that I think is going to do really well in this Chiefs offense. Now, the other guys, it's a little harder to judge. MVS, I think, is going to be – he is what he is. I think he's a very fast receiver. He's, to me, going to do what Tyreek Hill did in the sense of just taking the top off the defense where, hey, we can't just bring everybody up because Tyreek Hill is gone. We still have MVS that can run downfield. So if they don't you know, put a safety back there and they have everybody playing up, the Chiefs will make them pay. And so MVS is going to have a very big role in that regard. And I do think that there means there's going to be weeks where Marquez Valdez Scantling gets, you know, eight catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns. Like that, that is going to exist probably a couple times this year. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster, I think, could very well be a, a 70 to 80 catch guy, get a thousand yards and get six touchdowns, seven touchdowns. Like I think he's going to be a very good receiver for this team. I think a better real life receiver in terms of what he brings to the offense than necessarily for fantasy. I, I think he's going to be somebody that you could, you could trust as a flex play, uh, you know, depending on the week and, and what's and depending on your team. I'm still most intrigued by sky Moore of this team. I think he's the one that's signed for this team for the next five years. He's the one that's the big splash, a second round draft pick to replace Tyreek Hill. I think, you know, Mahomes has already been working with him in Texas. He's already, you know, if you follow him on Instagram, he's, you know, said sky's the limit for this kid and playing on his name with the pun. I, I, I like the chemistry there. And as we said earlier in the beginning of the show, Mahomes this is the by far the best collection of wide receivers he's played with at the NFL level as a collective group. So I think just funneling targets to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, while they're two 
all pro players. The fact that he doesn't have to basically only trust two guys in this offense to make plays, I think is going to allow him to be able to have other guys get open when his first or second option isn't open. These guys can get open and he'll be able to, uh, to be able to make plays outside the pocket. Guys can break free from coverage. So I think this collection is great. If you had asked me today, I ranked them Sky Moore, Juju, MVS in terms of what I think their fantasy points at the end of the season will be. But you could tell maybe the complete other way around it. And of course, I, I wouldn't be shocked. But I think this group is very talented and they're all going to be fantasy relevant at different points this season. I feel like they're all going to have like 55 to 70 receptions, you know, for whatever, like, you know, 700 yards. You're not going to die by the cheetah or Kelsey anymore. It's going to be death by a thousand paper cuts in this team this year is what I feel is going to happen. It's you, it's going to be hard to cover anybody and then cover Patrick Mahomes. And that's why I think CEH can get a lot more because people are going not just play that, that deep cornerback to cover the cheetah or deep safety to cover the cheetah. They're going to, they're running back. It, they're, the running backs out of the backfield are going to be the dump offs, which I think are going to get a lot of receptions this year. And, and that's why I'm happy to have CEH on my team because the offense will be so much more open, open than it was before. And he won't be sitting in the back. Mahomes won't be in the backfield in the, in the pocket for, you know, five, six, seven seconds waiting for Cheetah to finally get open downfield or, you know, running circles and then finally, you know, find somewhere for Mahomes to hit him at. This is going to be a whole new offense and I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. I, David, I really am David. too. David made a great point about the overall talent. I think that was a, that was a really sharp point. Um, like to go from like Byron Pringle um, and Demarcus Robinson <laughs> to adding, you know, like M- you, you don't even need to rank them. You know, if, if I told you you could have Tyreek Hill, Byron Pringle, um, and Demarcus Robinson for a real life NFL team, or have Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, and MBS, um, you're probably going to go with with box number two. And then you add in the fact that Mikael Hardman is still there. So they still have like another player familiar with the offense that can you can can go over the top of a defense. Um, I think it's super exciting. I do think that one of them will will like you're betting on Sky Moore. I think that one of them is going to be very fantasy useful. Um, I think John, you might be, you might be a little too bearish on Juju. I think it's going to be hard for Juju to to not get a number of receptions in this offense. Um, it's just a matter of you know how quickly can Sky Moore you know, potentially take over as a number one type target. Um, but I think you could see a lot of games where Juju just eats and eats uh, in terms of, you know, un- high, highly targeted um, and very efficient with Mahomes, with all those guys who can get deep next to him. Yeah. I got, I got like half my, on all my teams, I think I have Sky Moore on one and Juju on, on the, and the other, like the other four, or the other across the board. So it's going to suck when I'm like, yes. Oh, I need him. I need him to do it in this league, and he, you know, this league happened. The Sky Moore got skunked this week, and you know, vice versa. So, but it, it'll be good to see this offense. I had a hot. Sky Moore's awesome. I had a hot take that I I forgot. I was DMing with somebody today, and I hadn't said it publicly yet. That I think this is just again a hot take prediction. I think Miko Hardman is going to be a healthy and active by midseason. Wow. That's how. That's how little I think the Chiefs are invested in him long term, and this is the last year that he's going to be with Kansas city. So I, I think by mid season, he's going to be a healthy and active. And then, you know, either he gets traded or, or something happens after that, or, you know, someone gets hurt and then he can, he can get some playing time, but I think he'll be phased out by that point. He's definitely had his opportunities and people have him ranked as a big sleeper this year. And uh, if he hasn't done it the last couple of years, he's not going to do it now. And, you know, Theo, when you said Byron Pingle, I, I made me laugh because we were talking about the, the bears 
and now he's a wide receiver two on the Bears this year. And I'm, I, I wanted to throw some kind of joke out there, but it's not even funny. You know, it's it's terrible what what the Bears are doing. But that's that was a that was a division show last week. That was uh, it was funny. But the Byron Pingle, it, it just it it makes you laugh on the inside joke kind of thing for a while. It's, it's a shame what what the Bears have to work with this year, but. It's good for Byron Pringle to be around an older veteran like Bellis Jones, though. Chicago's getting the nice old wide receivers <laughs> to teach him, help him become a pro. I'm 46. I think I'm 47. I think he's uh, right, right right behind me. I think he's 26 years older or whatever. Same high school class for sure. Right. 1992, Brother Rice, baby. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So we are going to jump to uh, where we at now. Zach, tell me about these awesome – uh, Chargers here. You got Keenan Allen. Uh, you know, he's been slow and steady wins the race. This guy's been as steady as steady can get. Mike Williams, uh, Jalen Guyton. Mike Williams kind of tapered off towards the end of the year last year. Uh, Jalen Guyton, who getting rave reports about in camp. Josh Palmer, another guy I like. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about camp talk with Guyton, but I think Josh Palmer is the third best receiver on this team. Then you got a bunch of other guys on here, but it's your job to talk about the Chargers. Tell me about why the Chargers, uh, this receiving core from the, from the Chargers is the best in this division. I mean, it's I don't know if I can give the sales pitch on, on them being the best. I do like what the Broncos have with their third and fourth options around Sutton and Judy, but with the Chargers, you know, Keenan Allen's always there. He's always producing. We were talking about Devontae and how consistent he is. Keenan is up there in regards to the, the respect and terms of consistent production. Uh, he's He lives up to the hype year after year, and that's a guy that you know I feel comfortable with having a high floor and a high ceiling as well. How often will he reach that ceiling? Tough to say, but that's where someone like Mike Williams, he scares me more. He's more of a best ball target for myself. I have a hard time trusting that consistency because some weeks, you know, it's 40 fantasy points, and you're like, yes. This is exactly why I drafted him. Other weeks, there's two or four fantasy points, and you're wondering why the hell he was in your starting lineup. And, you know, I, I love both the weapons. I love, you know, Justin Herbert throwing them the ball. So, obviously, to a point, you feel comfortable with both of them. But, you know, Keenan Allen's the consistent one there. Otherwise, Mike Williams, it's hit or miss on the week. And someone for the third guy, I know Guyton is impressing in camp. But DeAndre Carter, a guy they brought in this offseason, he's had a fairly so-so career so far, but that's someone where I'm kind of intrigued to see what they can do with him, see if he can jump into that wide receiver throw, wide receiver three role and provide some sort of consistency. And especially for ADP talks and all that, DeAndre Carter isn't really on anyone's radar, and that's a guy that I'm looking towards those tail rounds just trying to stash, and he can jump up into that wide receiver three and, you know, maybe consistently produce 8, 12 points or have a few weeks where he's hitting that 20-point threshold, that's awesome for those rounds. But that's I the guy like, on my radar. I feel like they brought him in just to be a special teams ace. That's kind of what I, where I'm at on, on him. Uh, I see it, but I, I, I see that, especially the special teams, but I'm intrigued with the wide receiver three. I have mixed feelings on Palmer and Guyton. I mean, I, I want to believe in Guyton as that, that third guy. I know that hype is there from camp, but I also – how often do we hear the coaches say anything negative about their guys this time of year? So that's yeah. where um, I'm not trying to drink that Kool-Aid too much, but this is also coming from a guy that took MT in our, our Scott Fishbowl draft simply off of him cutting in an empty field. You know, 
I, I let that persuade me. So maybe I'll let the coach talk persuade me with Guyton too. There you go. All right. John, you got a little uh, boost up from uh, Zach from <clears throat> yeah. from Zach over there about your receiver. So this should be an easy sell for you on uh, the depth chart with having Sutton, who I love. I, I think Sutton's a way better receiver than Judy. Uh, Tim Patrick, Hamler, Seth Williams. I mean, you go down, they, they brought in some rookies. Uh, not much to talk about here, but the top four on this team is is very, very talented. Yes, yes, very. Uh, but I do, and, and I mean, I think that Sutton is the guy that you want. Um, I think that he's he's the the guy who's going to be in the you know twenty five percent target share range. Um, I don't I, I don't think anyone else is going to get there. And uh, so I like I'm going to return the favor here to Zach a little bit and say, you know, I think that there's some pretty significant value in for for fantasy purposes i mean you know for nfl purposes you want the depth you want the weapons um you you know it just helps your quarterback that much more um but you know and and it's that much harder to scheme and it's that much harder to to defend but for fantasy purposes there's kind of some value in having keenan allen and just knowing that he's gonna take a, a massive target share uh you know every single week it's nice to have Devontae adams it's 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 a little bit of a curse to have some depth when you're trying to navigate these depth charts, you know, for fantasy purposes. Like I said, I think Sutton is a guy. I mean, he's he's just kind of the he's the one guy on on this roster that's built like the alpha chain mover type. Um, he's the you know, he's the deep threat. He's the um, he's the jump ball winner. Um, they changed the name from 50 50 to 60 40 balls for him because he wins more often than not and uh it's it, you know it's he's he's just kind of going to be the first guy that Russell Wilson's looking for um every single time there are going to be some games where you know Jerry Judy is is kind of option B there's going to be some games where it's you know whichever tight end uh, rises to the top. There are going to be some times where KJ Hamler is going to get free for a couple long touchdowns. And there are going to be some games where Tim Patrick is kind of the, the, uh, the matchup that they want to exploit, you know, having him on the outside opposite Sutton, um, getting the softer coverage. And it's, it's going to be really tough to navigate for fantasy purposes beyond Sutton, I think. So, like I said, I, 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 you know, it's great for NFL purposes. It's great for Russell Wilson. Um, it's going to make things easier. It's going to open things up for the running game. It's going to make life easier for the for the offensive line. But for fantasy purposes, this this kind of isn't great. <laughs> no, it's not great. But it's like you said for football fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you can't. I don't think there's a better four receivers, better four receiver stack in the NFL than these guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got a pretty good tight end on the team, too. But we'll uh, get that in a second. Anybody else got anything to say about the Broncos? No, I mean, I think Sutton right now, like he's like wide receiver 15 or 16 on, on underdog. He's moving up. Um, and in some of these early drafts, he's, he's going pretty high. I think he's the kind of the best bet alpha-wise. Um, you've already seen him do it with poor quarterback play earlier in his career pre-injury. So it's like now he gets elite quarterback play. Let's, you know, and Russ will take some shots downfield to him. He could he could really finish highly. Um, he's a guy who could really beat ADP. But I think Judy's kind of intriguing because I think that people are kind of betting on the fact that it's going to be, you know, 
a lot of split targets and it's going to be like all these wide receivers getting work. I think at the end of the day, um, Judy could carve out a nice enough role and he's a good enough talent um, that I think he could be a very usable uh, fantasy player. And I think he's falling to a point in drafts now um, because of the Sutton rise where you can take some shots on Judy. Um, this is a guy that we were super excited to draft last year. He had the amazing, you know, first half gets injured. He's out. Um, but we were we were really high on him last summer. Um, he's a guy that really shot up draft boards. And I think now he does get the elite um, quarterback playing Russell Wilson as well. So he would be a guy that that I think is one to keep an eye on, especially with all the, uh, the Sutton love. I think there's a chance he could outscore Sutton. I don't think it's that huge of a leap just based on his pedigree and uh, his profile and, and I think his talent. Yeah, it's he's been uh, Russell Wilson has been routinely supporting two wide receiver, you know, wide receiver one, wide receiver two type guys like somewhere in the top 15 type of range. He's he's been there pretty consistently uh, the last several years. So it, there's there is an opportunity for Jerry Judy. It, it's also the problem is it's also there for Tim Patrick. Um, it could be either one of those guys or I mean, kind of the most likely scenario is all of that work just kind of gets distributed and and they make it up in the aggregate. But um, there's there's an opportunity. And I don't think that I'm you know, I, I'm with Theo. I don't think that the story's written fully on Jerry Judy yet. Agreed. 100 yeah, percent. I get it. You guys. So let's uh, jump to tight end position here. We're going to start with uh, Zach and the Chargers here. A very underrated Gerald, Gerald Everett on this team. Donald Parham, we saw him go out the field last year with a pretty bad concussion. That was uh, pretty scary to watch, actually. As a, someone who's seen a lot of football injuries, that was one of the more, more scarier ones that I've ever seen. But uh, talk about Gerald Everett, Donald Parham, Trey McKitty, um, and the Chargers tight end core. You know, Gerald Everett, someone I'm monitoring closely in most of my drafts right now. That's a guy that's way undervalued in regards to ADP. I don't have the exact stats up, David or Theo. Might. They seem to be quicker on the, the ADP for the specific references. But I know Gerald, most of my drafts, has been falling a lot further than I necessarily anticipated. But I, I love him there. I mean, we keep waiting to see a tight end consistently produce for this team. And this is kind of the guy in the year where I'm anticipating more. I'd Like I already alluded to, I don't really love those wide receiver threes on the team. And I'm hoping that production that we would like to see at the wide receiver three position for them will come from the tight end and specifically with Gerald Everett. I don't look at Donald Parham as someone who I necessarily anticipate stealing a lot of production from. He's a good blocker, but... I still see Gerald out there most of the time, and I actually like Trey McKitty more than Donald Parham. I don't know. I don't really love this tight end room, though, that much. There's pretty much the rest of the division that I, I like their tight end core a lot more. But, you know, it's Gerald Everett is definitely an undervalued guy if you're trying to wait on the tight end position in fantasy drafts where you want to try and get someone with upside and you're not necessarily spending a lot on that pick. Tight end 21 on fantasy yeah. numbers. I, I love that there. I mean, tight end 21 there with, you know, I, it's tough to, I, I could see him finishing tight end 10. I feel like that's not really asking a whole lot at the tight end position. If you're consistently at, you know, eight to 12 points in a PPR league at the tight end position, you're going to be towards that top because, you know, after that first five or six, the opportunity is there. So someone like that, that's a guy where, hey, 
hopefully I can get that filler spot since I was aggressive on all my other positions. And yeah, tight end 21, I love that. And if you're going to wait on tight end, why not wait on tight end in what we think could be an elite offense um, with an elite quarterback where it doesn't take a whole lot to move the tight end position. Um, and you could see Gerald Everett, you know, have eight touchdowns and all of a sudden he's a usable, um, you know, tight end, low end, tight end one, high end, tight end two. So um, he's interesting. Um, I think he's very affordable. It's kind of like those, some of those late um, athletic tight ends right now, like the Evan Engrams and the Noah Fants, Gerald Everett's. Um, you could kind of paint a picture where they where they produce. But I, I like Gerald Everett. I think he's uh, he's a nice tight end too if you draft two tight ends. Absolutely, I love him there. I love. I think we're all in this. Everybody in this room kind of agrees that he's very undervalued right now. But John, tell me about Albert O and my guy, Sweet Greg Dulcich. Oh, oh uh, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think kind of back to the, the just like the wide receiver group, it's the the bigger problem is just, you know, it's it's a little congested uh this uh this entire group because I do, you know, we we thought with Noah Fant being traded to Seattle that that should mean the job opens up to Albert O, but I you know, I I I think that Greg Dulcich uh, probably fits a little bit better as far as, you know, size and speed and um, pass catching, uh, you know, kind of in the same same mold as Robert Tunyon, um, you know, a guy that Nathaniel Hackett uh, worked with and liked quite a bit. So there's it, it, it's tough to say. I, I would say, uh, you know, it, it, at cost, Greg Dulcich is a great deep sleeper, you know, very end of your draft type of pickup. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't know that either of these guys is going to be a week in and week out starter. Just again, it's just, you know, how, like what's the path to a substantial target share for, for any of these guys when you already are trying to divvy it up between Sutton and Judy and Patrick and Hamler and, and the running game, you know? So, I, I don't think that there's really a whole lot of fantasy relevance here, but I think that if there's a guy who who could potentially consolidate the position and uh, become fantasy viable, I think it's probably Dulcich. I agree with that. No, I mean, like you mentioned, John, there are just so many weapons there already where it's tough to really trust the production and a fantasy aspect to be there at tight end, but I'm... I'm out on Alberto for this year. I mean, I, I want to see it first before I invest just because I see a lot of people buying into the hype and he's going a little higher than I'd like to relative to someone I haven't seen produce like that yet. And Dolchich, I mean, John, uh, you know who got him in, in our league for the Scott Fishbowl, right? <laughs> I had to snag him late. I got our boy Dolchich. I mean, who knows? I think, what, round 20? I'll take it there, but that's a guy that I, I think fits more and I, I like him there, but yeah, it's tough to see too much volume going their way with so many weapons and so many mouths to feed already. Yeah. It'll be a little bit easier for the next guy to take over to, to, to fight for tight ends. Theo, tell me, uh, you know, it's, I, it must be tough sticking up for Darren Waller and, you know, Foster Moreau, but uh, you know, can you do it for us? No, it's, I mean, it's an easy, it's an easy sell. Darren Waller right now, like he, he's getting drafted as tight end four. We've seen about two top five finishes in his career. Um, he was tight end two, um, you know, last, you know, fully healthy season in, in 2020. 
Um, he averaged like 17 and a half points a game. Uh, he was right behind Travis Kelsey. Um, and, you know, he was getting drafted extremely highly um, last season. Um, you know, last season we saw like a lot of his metrics go way down. Um, we had the kind of, it was a very odd injury situation where, you know, you, we expected him to come back um, and then he kind of lasted and lasted. It was a very disappointing season. Um, he was still like 12 points a game last year, so he didn't fall off the face of the earth, but people would call him kind of a bust at ADP. Um, but, you know, he's still a tremendously talented guy, uh, one of the better move tight ends in the NFL. Um, and again, now that you've added Devontae Adams, um, the 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 whole the argument like the the pie is going to be larger type deal so Darren Waller I think can still produce um I'm not overly drafting him at ADP but I think he's appropriately priced um and like you brought up Foster Moreau um he flashes every time he's on the field um Derek Carr had a nice connection with him I think he's a he's a very good backup tight end who I think would start for a number of NFL teams if he had the opportunity. So, you know, if anything were to happen to Waller, you know, Foster Moreau becomes like a type top 15 weekly play, but you know, Darren Waller for me, I think he's appropriately priced. He's not a guy that I'm overly uh, targeting. I think that there is an outside chance that I alluded to earlier. I think Renfro might have already kind of passed him on the depth chart. I don't think that's completely out of the realm of possibilities um, in terms of like the target pecking order. But more likely than not, it's going to be Adams, Waller, and Renfro. Um, and it's going to be, again, such a consolidated target tree that Waller should be able to eat even with two other you know, guys that are getting a decent target share uh, in the offense. Um, and again, you know, Waller's never had like a massive touchdown season. I think that is also in the realm of possibilities uh, if he stays healthy in this offense. I own the uh, the island of Foster Moreau in a, a bunch of my in my dynasty leagues. I uh, I, I love him. I, I until something happens, Waller, he's not going to be anything. No, obviously, but it, this is a very good offense across the board, and I'm looking forward to actually seeing the Raiders. And like I said before, this is just to be in this division when the Raiders finally got to have a good team is it's a terrible place to be, but it is what it is. Especially when you're going against Dave. Tell me how you know. Give me some Travis Kelsey talk right now. Why is he better than Darren Waller at the position? Uh, I mean, there's not many tight ends better than Travis Kelsey these days, even in decline. I mean, he's a guy that was it been five of the last six years or six of the last seven years has been the tight end one in fantasy. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a slam dunk. He's now even more so going to be the number one pass catcher in this offense. If you thought it was a toss up between him and Ty, Tyreek Hill, that's obviously not the case anymore. You know, he's somebody that is going to get you around 100 catches from the tight end position. He's going to be one of their best red zone targets. I mean, it, he doesn't need much statistical analysis to tell you how good Travis Kelsey is. And I think you have another year or two of him being a dominant tight end, a, a top three tight end, I think, at worst case scenario. So, I mean, he's a luxury I wish we had the Chiefs had a better backup tight end behind him that could step in if he got hurt, knock on wood, because, you know, Blake Bell, Noah Gray and Jody Fortson are all nice players, but they're very much projects. There's not an established player that could come in and, and take that spot if, if something were to happen to him. So uh, Kelsey, as long as he's healthy, tight end one or uh, tight end two, I guess, at the very worst, if 
you have Andrews ahead of him, but um, ultimately he's going to be perfect. He's a, he's a great second round pick for you in non tight end premium leagues. He could set the uh, he could set his career uh, high in targets this year too. I think that's like in the realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and he absolutely lit it up in the playoffs last year. So like last year, I think he was playing hurt. He had and the offense had those stagnant weeks. So if you look at like his his uh, his splits, the guy you know was dominant to end the year where, where you wanted to see him. So when fully healthy, I mean his his playoff uh, stats were ridiculous. And then he had the, the the massive game against the Chargers late in the year um, in an important game for Kansas City as well. So he ended really well, and I think he, there's you could see him get north of 150 this year. He's had 150 targets once in his career, um, and I think there's a chance he could get it um, again this year. I'm with you, 100%. It's, it's amazing how you have a team with such a great tight end with nobody behind there. What would be their, what would be their move if Travis Kelsey went down? You can't just stick Noah Gray out there and say, "Hey, this is gonna be it." Like you got I mean, gotta be to Noah Gray, though, right, David? These Noah Gray's the only one with like you know, he's got to be their number two tight end, huh? Right now, depth charts I've read, they have Blake Bell ahead of him. Um, I've I seen think that they too. would they would do a combination of both of them. The problem is that again, I think with their aspirations, it would depend on the length of injury. So, like if if Travis Kelsey was going to be out, you know go on the pup list or something like that. Yeah. Like you're, they're going to have to, to trade for one, like a sign Gronk. They could sign Gronk. <laughs> oh my God. That would be, that would be awesome. That would be um, All day. Sign I, I don't know like how many tight ends are on the market, but I think they would try to get one. Uh, I, I just wish they would have put better capital into that position. He's not going to be elite forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've talked about again. Kelsey's a monster. Everybody knows that. Yeah, Nate Williams says, "Hey, Mendy, my guy, what's up, Nate?" <laughs> so, um, have you guys ever been to any stadiums? Uh, you're like the one thing we talk about is like some of the food and fan base and history. You know, I know some of you guys. Uh, you know, some people don't go to stadiums or live too far away or are fans from different states. You know, that's okay. But uh, I have been to. Where are we at? Kansas City once. Uh, it's obviously the barbecue in Kansas City is awesome. I've never been. Me and my family have been on road trips all over. I've been to 43 states already with my family, with my my wife and my four kids. We do just family trips or the revolve around the cross tournaments, stuff like that. And um, I have not. We went around the entire state of Colorado one time. Never went in it, so I never got to see that one. Uh, Las Vegas, obviously, that's a new stadium. I was supposed to go there when they played the Dolphins. When the opening season and COVID happened, so that kind of got SOL'd. And I remember uh, <clears throat> James Catullus had actually had uh, tickets for the draft in Vegas. And, uh, you know, God rest his soul, he, great guy, awesome dude. And he was so excited to go to Las Vegas when the stadium was built and uh, go see the, the first uh, draft. <clears throat> and that got, as that got shit, I mean, obviously he died because, you know, natural causes and stuff. But, man. I feel sorry that he never got to live that up, being you know that go to the draft, see his team, and obviously LA is a new stadium too. But I don't know if have you guys ever been to any of these places? I've I've been to the Bronco one. Uh, I mean, they change their name all the time now. That I know what's the new stadium name? I don't know anymore. I know there was not my anymore. It's the second part. It used to be Sports Authority, and then I think it's Empower Field. Oh, that's right. 
There, yeah. there was the number one dispensary in Colorado when I was living out. They were trying to buy the naming rights, <laughs> but the NFL wasn't allowing it. And I, oh, I would have loved that. It would have fit the Colorado profile so much. Yeah. But no, that stadium is great. I mean, I have bad memories there. I think it was uh, the year the Broncos won the Super Bowl. I saw the Packers and Aaron Rodgers uh, Sunday night football, you know, both teams undefeated. And Aaron Rodgers had like 82 passing yards and zero touchdowns, two picks. It was a not a good night to be in Packer gear, but it was a no, it was a great stadium. I mean, a little older now, tough to get parking, but you know, it was a good time. I mean, the Bronco faithful is always strong there, regardless of the weather. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the food would be like in LA compared to like Chicago, you know, the Bears Stadium or like you know some of the local stadiums or Kansas City. I, I would hate to see the menu in LA, but. Uh, I don't know. It's the Vegas. The Ra- too many vegetables for you, McGlynn. Way too many vegetables. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Bronco Stadium lacks in good food too. The only the yeah. only specialty item at any uh, Colorado sporting venue is the the Rocky uh, Rock, the Rocky Mountain oysters at the Rockies. Yeah, yeah you can get some bulls balls deep fried. You can uh, get those I, at the Bronco games too. Oh, they but, do. Yeah. I thought that was only at the Rockies. Yeah, that's a. Uh, yeah, yeah, they've got them there too. Have you ate them? No, no. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm not brave enough when it comes to food. I, I have. I did not know what they were. Actually, not as bad as I would have thought. I mean, I think it's more so the thought of what it is. So when you don't know what it is, that's so I, my. Go ahead, John. I, I, I worked in a restaurant as a, a prep cook. And we had we had those, so I've never tried them, but I've cooked them. Um, and you deep fry them, but y- so usually when you drop something into a deep fryer, like when it's you know when it's done because it kind of floats to the top. Uh, these don't do that though. Like you you have different visual clues, and it's basically like when they look way too greasy to eat, that's when they're ready. And it just, even just that, like just the process of cooking them and knowing when they're done is just, is disgusting enough. <laughs> Everybody around here has what's called lengua tacos, which is cow tongue. And they, they say, oh, you got to eat these cow tongue tacos. And I just imagine myself getting licked by a cow when I'm eating this taco. And I'm like, I just can't do it. You know, it's something <laughs> tasting you back. But everybody says that it's so awesome. And it's, it's like people had cow tongues and they cut it. And they're like, once you get past the, you know, the, the feeling of taste buds rubbing, rubbing around your mouth, it, it actually tastes pretty good. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm a texture guy. I'm, I'm more of a quantity than more quality than quality kind of thing, you know, but texture is humongous in my like kind of food stuff. But I feel like the, the Rocky Mountain oysters, they really aren't anything special though, either. I think it's more so the, what they are and just yeah. eating another part of the, the cow yeah. or the bowl. It's like, and it's just funny too. Like, I don't know. It, it wasn't this like, oh my gosh, this is a food I've been missing out. Like this delicacy, I need more bulls balls in my life. I didn't exit it like that. It was just like, oh, that's what it is. Better how, many than bites, I thought. how many bites did it take to eat one of these bulls? I mean, balls? I I put like four in my mouth at once just to see how many I could fit in. But no, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's like a. It looked like a deep fried meatball. I mean, I like I didn't know what it was, so just yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> You guys, thanks so much for making uh, Commissioner Evaluation Podcast uh, another week, another special week, another awesome week. Uh, thank you very much. On the way out, you want to? Uh, we'll start with Zach. You want to introduce yourself or say the way out? What, you're, what you got coming down the pipeline? Where you've been? All the stuff coming up. 
Um, yeah, no, uh, on Twitter at the big Pulaski. Otherwise, I've been making a lot of con for content for Scott Fishbowl on going for two and otherwise through threads on Twitter. I'm fairly new to the community and to Scott Fishbowl itself. It's my first time in, so just trying to make sure I'm prepared and hopefully draft a winning team. John, uh, I'm glad you didn't snipe me as much as I expected, but thank you for having me tonight. It was nice to meet all you guys, and I'm glad we could talk some football. Zach, it's, good. it's nice to know you as a friend, as in person, a couple times already, and uh, to be on the podcast now, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Theo, my guy, let me uh, tell me about yourself, all the stuff you got going on, your awesomeness. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter um, at the OG Fantasy. Um, I, you can find my written work on Player Profiler. Um, I have a number of articles that have come out already this summer and a couple more in the woodworks. Um, again, I'm writing a lot of high stakes uh, fantasy football articles, but also some strategy pieces that can help you in any in any format. Um, I had a couple of dynasty pieces uh, this past spring as well. Um, you can find me on the Goat District podcast, um, where we're usually recording uh, twice a week, um, sometimes more in the summertime. Uh, we brought on some awesome guests. Uh, definitely give us a look. Um, and then this Friday night, I'll be on Grind Time. It's the FFWC's uh, show hosted by Billy Muzio. It's a really good new podcast. Uh, and Billy and I will be drafting against one another um, in the, the new player profiler uh, championship. It's a tournament um, on the FFWC. Uh, and we'll be drafting against one of another and a few other sharp drafters. So that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, thanks again for having me on, John. It's always a blast talking to you. No, tell Dan and JD I miss him, man. Those guys are some awesome guys. I look at that every week. I see the the list of guests, and it's like, wow, wow, wow. A fantastic job, you guys. Awesome job. You guys are awesome over there. So appreciate Mendy. that. Mandy, tell me about yourself. What's going on? All the good stuff around you. Uh, lots of lot. Some stuff's going on. I mean, uh, you can find every Thursday evening, I record Mendy's Moves for the 33rd team. That usually comes out every Monday or Tuesday morning on their YouTube channel. Uh, you can find monthly, like two articles from me for football for fantasy pros, and then weekly uh, baseball articles for fantasy pros, also weekly baseball articles for fan tracks, and then everything else, triple play fantasy, you can see with the hat. Uh, we do a bunch of stuff over there, baseball, basketball, football. Tomorrow we're doing a bonus football pod because Brennan Haywood is coming on the show, and we're going to talk some fantasy football with the former NBA player, Brennan Haywood. It should be a fun time. And, uh, yeah, if you like all the fantasy sports out there, we cover a lot of them, so check us out. Uh-oh, he's on mute. <laughs> You're on mute, John. You guys, you guys have some awesome guests too. It's I, every time I, I I look on there, I see NFL players, baseball players. It's like holy cow! Where do you find all these guests from that come on your show from the actual professional leagues? I a lot of it has just been building connections over time. Like when I've had somebody on, either they put me in contact with somebody they're close with, or I stay close with their agent, and then their agent, if they get new clients or they just have recommendations, then they they'll get that set up for me. So it's just been kind of a couple of years of just building contacts that have, have helped that mostly. Nice. I love it. Super flex, dude. You stay sexy and super flexy. That's Tell me right. all about yourself. The good show. Like I, I know you do tons of those every monthly, uh, uh, mock GDP rankings, mock drafts. That's got to drive yeah. me nuts, but, yep. but, uh, <laughs> tell me about all about yourself. I think I cut you off earlier in the show on accident, but let everybody know where, where they can find you at, what you got going on, all the good stuff you do. 
Uh, yeah, there's it, it, most of it's going to be at DynastyLeagueFootball.com. But yeah, there's those mock drafts, those ADP mock drafts. Uh, we uh, we do those every month, year round, even in season. So we're just we're we're keeping up with Superflex startup uh, player values, and um, I, to me, we've got the best ADP in the business. But we crowdsource those, so it's always great to have people jump in. So please do. Uh, watch for the tweet at the beginning of each month. Um, and then I rank both Superflex and uh, Cornerstone, which it turns out is Superflex as well. And uh, and then, yeah, uh, it's, um, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, right sometimes. And then the Superflex Super Show, of course. That's, uh, that's my baby. Um, kind of just uh, took a little bit of a hiatus so everybody could talk rookies and get that out of their system. Them. and uh now that we're uh now that we're past that i'm i'm back at it and we're talking strategy i just had scott connor said josh bigby um got uh katie flower coming up so we've got some uh some really good strategists coming and uh uh yeah it, it's we're gonna keep it rolling i'm not gonna lie to you i think i like when you do your solo shows a lot dude. it's just you just barking out for an hour or so man it's pretty nice <laughs> I, I got me too, but I got called a snake oil salesman. Like I spent the entire off season just going solo and talking quarterback extreme. And I just got so many reviews saying it, like, it's, it's starting to sound like an infomercial that I was like, all right, uh, let's get some, some other perspectives on here. But uh, I'm tired of people being wrong on my show all the time. It's time to talk about <laughs> drafting the hell out of quarterbacks early and often. There you go. I love it. I'm too much of a quarterback guy because of you, I think, but that's okay. <laughs> I'd rather go down with a ship with too many quarterbacks on my roster than not have enough. So that's Good. right. Well, it's in everybody, your blood, man. It's in my blood now. It wasn't you're, before, you're, but it is now. So you're super show family. So that's, thanks, man. Thanks. I always yeah. will be. Uh, thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, thanks for making this a great show, everybody else. Thank you.